0: this morning to Jeremiah chapter 33. We are working our way through the Bible this year. We're finding ourselves in the book of Jeremiah. Now if you've been coming to Sunday school this summer, this last quarter, many of you have been studying through the book of Jeremiah in Sunday school. In fact, one of our one of our uh, teachers, one of our leaders remarked to me earlier today that reading the book of Jeremiah is sort of like watching the Titanic. And I thought, well, that's a really accurate description because you know where things are going. You, you know how this is going to end. Like you know all of the disaster and the ruin and all those things that are coming for the nation of Israel. And yet here we find in the book of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, warning right? It's, it's like this loud warning system, this loud alarm system that is going off warning them. In fact, speaking of loud alarm systems, some years ago when we first moved into our home, we had an alarm system and the alarm system uh, was, is also tied into like the uh, smoke detectors and, you know, the, so one of these systems in the house that kind of controls everything. And the alarm system functioned. We weren't having it monitored at that time, but it functioned nonetheless. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't pay much attention to it until all of a sudden, lo and behold, one night in the middle of the night, it just starts going off just super loud. And I jump up out of bed, you know, as quickly as I can thinking, what in the world has happened? We didn't set the alarm. So I know that there were, it wasn't like someone had come in the house to set the system off because we'd uh, to be honest with you, back then, I didn't even know the code how to set it, right? I mean, we had just moved in the house, but uh, so here we are. We jump up out of bed. The alarm just go in, run in, punch a bunch of buttons. It turns out that the code that operated the garage door was also the code for the alarm system. I got lucky in that regard because uh, I didn't know the, I mean, I literally didn't know the code, right? But I'm trying things and I get it to go off and at this point, everybody's awake. What just happened? Well, Apparently, the alarm went off, and so go back to bed a few nights later, same thing. And then shortly thereafter, same thing. And what we realized is that there was a battery backup to the system, and something had gone awry with the battery backup, and it was kind of glitching and setting off the alarm, lo and behold. And I, you know, it turns out there's one way that you learn these types of things, and that's the hard way. And so we learned the hard way how to operate, learned the hard way, what the code was to the alarm system, all of that. But nonetheless, we, we learned the alarm, we figured out how to hear the alarm, and 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 that's what's happening in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is God's alarm system, if you will, that He's sounding a warning to the nation of Israel. If you don't turn your ways, like if you don't repent and turn back to me and, and stop doing the things that you're doing, the Lord is saying then there is great destruction, great ruin that is headed your way. Well sadly, we know how that ends. We know that they didn't listen. We know that there was a great devastation that takes place. In fact, as you're reading through the book of Jeremiah, you actually begin to see some of these things take place. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, just a chapter before where we're going to be in Jeremiah 33. In Jeremiah chapter 32, we read, and the context tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah when Jeremiah was locked up in the courtyard. And what we, what we know to be true about that is that Jeremiah is locked up at this point because the Babylonians have laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. So here the people of Jerusalem are locked in. They have, they have shut themselves off. They have walled themselves off because the city had literal walls around it. They have walled themselves off inside the city, and they are trying to withstand the onslaught of the Babylonian army. The only problem with that is that the Babylonians were a fierce army, fierce warriors, uh, they, they, the, the siege works that they employed to, to conquer the city were in its own day some of the most advanced uh, military tactics with advanced weaponry. They were a dominant world power at this point in time. And Jerusalem is in their crosshairs. Jerusalem is their target and their prize. And so as they are laying siege to the city of Jerusalem, even at that very time, God speaks to Jeremiah, and he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go to these people and give them this word. And what we find here in Jeremiah 33 is actually an extension of what Jeremiah has already said in Jeremiah 32. And so let's read together. We're gonna read the first 16 verses. Now, as we read this, before we read, I want you to notice, as we read in light of everything that I've just said, you're gonna think, well, hold on, this is rather hopeful. Like, what you we're reading in Jeremiah chapter 33 seems to be some relatively good news. This appears to be relatively hopeful, and it is. Here's the really bad news. If you back up and you read Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah 33 only happens after they've gone through the worst of it, on the, on the other side, on the other side of conquest, on the other side of 70 years being carried off and, and, and being a conquered people, the Lord promises in Jeremiah 33, I'm not finished with you. I'm not done with you. I still have plans and a purpose for you. Now, you've no doubt read Jeremiah 33 3 before. When we read this verse together, it's going to seem very familiar to you. But it's important that you understand the context because oftentimes we'll take a verse like that and if we lift it out of its context, we just make it seem like, oh, everything's great and happy. Call to the Lord. He'll answer me and that's good. God's promising that he will call but even that needs to be understood in the context of after they have gone through the great hardship, after they have suffered tremendous loss, after they have been conquered and, and what feels like just utterly, utterly decimated as a people, God promises, but in that day, if you'll call to me, I will answer. Though I may allow you to go through some great difficulty because of your sin, because of your hard hearts, I still am listening if you will turn your hearts to me. What a great lesson we're going to learn together. Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. By the way, just pause there. When it talks about the houses that were torn down, literally there were homes, there were dwelling places built into the wall of the city. Surrounding the wall, both interior and exterior, there were homes. And as the Babylonians mounted their siege, they literally would build a they would they would bring in dirt and they would build a, a large ramp a pile of earth that they could use to drive their chariots and their other equipment up to, the, to over the city wall. They could lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And as that was happening, the people of Jerusalem began to, t- they literally tore apart their houses. They, they took apart their houses, they tore down, and they used the, the materials from their homes for fortifications, to fortify the wall, to build extra defenses, even perhaps to build... On the interior of the wall, dwelling places for the soldiers who stood guard on the city walls day and night trying to make a defense for the sake of the city. All right, so a little bit of history, a little bit of historical context that maybe helps us understand some of this. Verse 5, they are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health. And healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive them all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all all the prosperity i provide for it. Again, that sounds really good, doesn't it? That sounds wonderful. The Lord is going to do these wonderful things for Jerusalem, but let's understand the context of verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 on the heels of verses 4 and 5. Before this happens, there will be great there will be great ruin that comes to the city. Verse 10, we read thus says the Lord In this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever." For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall be again habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephalah, and in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our Righteousness. So here you have a stern warning mixed with a promise of prosperity. You have, this, you have this, this call that goes out to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God is saying to them, listen, you guys are about to reap the consequences of your sin. But even before that happens, God is saying, but I'm not finished with you. And in fact, I will still bless you if you will turn your hearts to me if you will call to me. And so there are some great lessons for us to learn in Jeremiah. When I was growing up, uh, my youth pastor would refer to Jeremiah 33 verse 3 as God's phone number. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. Jeremiah 33 3 as God's phone number because it says, call to me, right? That's, That's what the word of God says here to the people of, of Judah, call to me and I will answer you. In other words, if we were to call to God, if we were to cry out to him, he will answer us. Now, back in the day, this is for all of like the millennials and, and under, right? Back in the day, we had phones in our houses. We didn't carry them everywhere with us. And if you wanted to call someone, you had to be, right, you had to be near that line and and you had to you had to like literally stay inside and stay in one spot because you were connected with the wire. I'm joking, of course, but uh, I'm really not joking because many of you have no idea what that's like, but, but call to me. That's an, that's, an, that's an interesting thing that God here urges the people of Judah. If you will call to me, if we go on to read in verses 14, 15, and 16, because this is gonna be where we spend the the majority of our time this morning, verse three, and then verses 14 through 16. But I want you to notice, there's a phrase that is repeated throughout. Now, it's repeated in these verses, but it's also repeated throughout the, the other verses, and it's the words, I will. Look in verse three. Call to me, and I will answer you. And the I is implied again. I will tell you great and hidden things. Go to verse 14. The the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made. Verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch. Do you see here that the, the point in all of this is it is the Lord is the one who acts. The Lord is the one who is blessing the lord is the one here who has the power and so the first lesson that i want us to see is that the lord is the is the one who's the source of supply and so for us i would word it this way let the lord be the source of your supply What do I mean when I say that? Let the Lord be the source of your supply. Well, the source of their supply, the source of every good thing, the source of blessing, the source of hope, the source of all that they were seeking ultimately was the Lord. I will answer you. I will... The Lord is saying to them, listen, everything that you want, everything that you need is in me. The problem for Jerusalem, the problem for the, the people of Judah, the people of Israel is that they had begun to believe that they were the source of their own blessing. They were the ones who were responsible for all the good in their lives. Sound familiar? We do the very same thing today. We, we get sort of uh, spiritually fat and sassy thinking that uh, you know I, I, all of these good things that are happening are because of me because of all the because I am so smart because I am so well put together because I'm so righteous and I do all these and I and I'm so good and I and and we we become so puffed up and prideful that we forget that if there's anything good in us it's Jesus and if there's any blessing that we experience it's because of Jesus, and if there's any anything in our lives that's worth celebrating, and anything in our lives that's worth that's that's worth really being being uh, thankful for, was because of the Lord. It's not because of anything that's good. We, God didn't save you because He looked down and and He thought, "Wow, she is so special." I really need her as one of my own, right? Or he is so smart and so intelligent. I really need that kind of thinking in my in my kingdom, right? The Bible makes it clear that before a holy and a, and a mighty God, we are we are nothing. And our righteousness according to the prophet Isaiah is like filthy rags. If there's anything that's good in us, it's from the Father above, who has poured out his blessing on us, who has, who has chosen to bless us, not because of anything that's good in us, but because he is good, and because he delights to bless those who would trust him, who would turn to him. Here, the same God is calling out to the, the people of Judah, saying, turn your hearts to me, and I will do what you ask. And the same God calls to us, saying, if you will call to me, I will answer you. One of the things, one of the interpretive things that we have to wrestle through, as we read something like Jeremiah thirty-three three, is we have to ask ourselves the question: Well, is this speaking to the people of that day, or is this speaking to us today? And if it speaks to us, does it carry the same authority? So is God saying to us, "Call to me, and I will answer you"? And the answer to that is yes. Now we need to uh, we need to we need to understand that it. There, there's a, a particular way that this is speaking to the people of Judah in its day. That The Lord is saying to them, after you go through these things, after you've been through this hardship, after you've faced destruction, after you've been carried away by the Babylonians, then if you will return to me, return your hearts to me, then I will hear you and I will answer you. But we know through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the scriptures still speak with authority to us today. And so the context of your life, no doubt, is different. And yet, the application is really the same. If you would turn your heart to the Lord, if you would call to him, if you would let the Lord be the source of your supply, you will find that he is everything that you need. And he will give you what is good and what you need in the moment that you call to him, that you turn to him. Let the Lord be the source of your supply. Call to him. And expect him to answer. Expect him to tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Because this is what God delights to do when we turn our hearts to him. So first lesson I would say we can learn from what God is doing here in Jeremiah's own day is that we would let the Lord be the source of our supply. Second lesson would be this. Let the Lord be the source of your song. Let him be the source of your song, in describing all that would come to pass, in describing all of the things that would take place, there is this brief song of praise here. Did you see it? Did you see in verse 11 the words that are set apart from the, the other words? The reason those words are set apart in the way that they are is because it is, it is a song. It is, it's prose. It's meant to be read and understood a little differently because this is, this is something that they would have sung. In fact, the language even of what is said here is repeated extensively throughout the Old Testament. You can find these words again and again in the language, in the writings of the Old Testament. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The same steadfast love of God that was evident for the people of Jerusalem is evident for us today. And so when I say, let him be the source of your song, what I mean is God would be the thing that we would delight in, that he would be the thing. The Lord would be the one that we delight in, that we sing praises, that we, that we lift our voices and we say, God, you are good and you do great things. You're, you're, you're abundant in your mercy. Your steadfast love endures forever. There's even a song that we sing. At times it was popularized years ago by an artist named Chris Tomlin, but do you recognize these words because they're in that song, forever? The, the chorus of the song goes, uh, forever, God is faithful, forever. But the beginning part of that song, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. You've sung those words before, right? That's the word of scripture. That we're, this becomes the cry of our hearts. God, you are good, and we want to praise you. You are the source of everything that's in our lives, everything that's worthy of praise, everything that's excellent. If there's anything praiseworthy, Lord, it's from you. Let the Lord be the source of your song. What I mean by that, practically speaking, in your life, the things that you would celebrate, the things that bring you joy, recognize the hand of God in that. The things that you delight in. Now, th- this doesn't mean that your life is going to be 24-7 just, you know, uh, like, like a worship service that's just on, on repeat over and over, right? That's not, that's not the point of this. This doesn't mean that it's like, you know, the, the soundtrack to your life is Caleb and it's just playing everywhere you go. And it, you know, that's, that, But it, what it does mean is that in any circumstance, in any situation, at any point in your life, you would recognize that the blessing, the goodness, the abundance, the things that bring me joy, the things that fill my heart, this is God's work in my life. And as I give him thanks, and as I turn my praise to him, what I'm doing is I'm I'm recognizing that he's the source of my song. If there's anything that's good, anything that's worth singing about, if there's anything that's worth praising, it's from God. Let him be the source of, of your song. See his hand in the goodness, the people that you love, the things that bring you joy, the passions, the hobbies, the, all those things. Recognize those are all a part of God's favor and his goodness in your life. Learn to see God at work and learn to give him praise. It's a great lesson for us to learn. And notice here that this lesson is spoken to a people who are going through a really hard time and things are about to get worse. Because literally day by day, night by night, they are watching the Babylonians mount a ramp to the wall of their city. And by the way, history tells us that once that ramp was built and once the Babylonians conquered that city, they laid waste, they laid laid ruin to the city of Jerusalem. They raised the walls, which is always kind of a, a misleading, a misnomer, because when we say they raised the walls, what we mean is they literally they tore down the walls. They burned the houses. They killed people. They carried off the young, influential people after killing their parents and their friends and their family and loved ones in front of their very eyes. They systematically brainwashed them. Read later in books like Daniel. Uh, and, and, and see, read the book of Lamentations, which is sort of a companion to the book of Jeremiah, and, and read about the brokenness of these people because of all that they went through. And the people are walled up inside the city of Jerusalem day by day, and all they can do is watch the oncoming onslaught. Don't you think you'd be nervous? Don't you think you'd be living with some fear, some trembling? Don't you think that would probably be a pretty good time to cry out to God for revival? And these stiff-necked people are hearing from a loving God who says, I love you. I'm going to allow you to suffer the consequence of of your way. But I'm not finished with you. Let me be the source of your song. Third lesson that we learn from Jeremiah is this, let the Lord be the source of your salvation. In verse 16, we read about those days. Those days, Judah will be saved. Those days are the days to come. Judah will be saved. They will be saved. How? Well, verses 14 and 15 tell us. They will be saved because of one that's referred to here as the righteous branch. You think, what? What is that? What is a righteous branch? Go back to verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So God is saying, what, is, what will happen in those days and the days to come will be a fulfillment of my promise. Verse 15, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. We're all familiar with the idea of a family tree, Right? We think of our our lineage and our our ancestry as being sort of a, a tree that has these branches that go out. And what God is saying here is that there will be one who I will raise up, who will be a righteous branch. There will be one who will be the fulfillment of my promise to David, who will be the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Christ, the one who will do what even David could not do. In your your Bible, the word branch is capitalized. A righteous branch, capital B, branch. That's because it's meant to indicate, of course, that this is speaking about Jesus. The righteous branch is Jesus. He is the one who would come. This is a promise of salvation through all that God would do in Jesus. And so God is saying to this people, I will be faithful to the promise that I made to you. I will be faithful to the covenant that I made with your fathers. I will do what I have said. I will bring salvation through my people. God is the source of their salvation. Better yet, we could even be a little more pointed and say, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is the one who brought salvation to this people. Because God was faithful to his promise and his word. And so my instruction to us, the the lesson that we learn in light of this would let the Lord be the source of your salvation. Now, in terms of the points, you can tell if you're following along, this is the third of five points, right? This is right in the middle. And that's mostly just because in the way that I'm walking through the text, this also happens to be the third point and it's in the middle. But I think it's also, it's important that we understand that Jesus is to be in the middle of everything. He's to be in the middle of our lives. Salvation is to be the, the very heart of who we are, the very center of our identity, the center of who we are. That we are a people who are saved by faith in Jesus because we've trusted in Him for the forgiveness of our sins. We've confessed Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Let Jesus be the source of your salvation as you trust Him, as you place Him in the center of your life, as you Do everything to live by faith. Fourth, we learn, let the Lord be the source of your security. The very next phrase in verse 16, we read about the security, right? In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. The security that this great city had once known, this city which in its heyday was the city on top of the hill, the city atop Mount Zion, the, the signal, the, 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 the lighthouse of sorts for all those around it because literally the city is up on a high place and it can be seen visibly from the land all around. This, this great sign to the world, the city atop a hill of God's faithfulness, of his goodness, of his promise, of his covenant, And yet, sadly, in this moment, the people knew anything but security. There was great insecurity, great fear. But the Lord promises, but there's coming a day because of my promise when once again the city will dwell securely. Now, again, there's an element of this that comes to pass a little bit later. The city is rebuilt. We read about Nehemiah and Ezra and and Zerubbabel and those who came before him in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which we've technically read already in our Bible reading plan. But uh, in, in terms of their chronology, they come after this, right? And so we, we read in Ezra and Nehemiah about God rebuilds the temple. Uh, he, he works through the people to rebuild the city, the wall around the city. And, and that lasts for a time until the year AD 70, actually, when the Romans come in and tear down the city again, the walls of the city. But even to this day, there are remnants. The Jeru- city of Jerusalem is still a major city today. There are remnants of that city. But this isn't a promise about an actual physical place, right? And this isn't a promise that they would always dwell securely within the walls of the city of Jerusalem. This is really meant to be a signal of something greater, which is why even in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in the language that is used to describe the dwelling place of God that comes to be with man forever and ever in the new heaven, and the new earth, the capital of that, read in Revelation chapter 20, is the new Jerusalem. Now, And I believe that that's a real city and a real place, but it's also meant to point us back to and, and, and tie up these loose ends that God will ultimately be faithful to the promise. But it's not a promise just about a physical place. It's a promise about the security that comes as we make him the source, the source of our supply, the source of our song, the source of our salvation. He becomes the source of our security so that we can rightly say, that no matter what I go through, no matter what I face, God is my, is my security. In him alone will I trust. Years ago, there were a group of missionaries who were killed in the Amazon River Basin because they, they flew a plane in to reach this unreached people group. And one of these... Missionaries was named Jim Elliot. Maybe, perhaps you've heard of Jim Elliot and Nate Saint, and uh, I think, well, I'll forget the other names now. But th- this group of missionaries who reached this group of people along the Amazon River basin, and they were killed. They, in fact, they determined that they would lay down their lives, that they would not fight these people who were known to be a violent people, in order that they might and they might try to reach them. And so five young men went in, and they were killed. And sometime later, they found their bodies downriver, and the most amazing thing happened. A couple of their wives moved in with the same people, went to be missionaries among the same people who had killed their husbands, and they reached them. Amazingly enough, the fact that these women would come and and try to reach these these people when they had killed their husbands moved even the heart of those people and one of those missionaries jim elliot is fit, it sort of infamously stated he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose what an empower what, what an empowering a, a powerful statement he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose See, Jim Elliot understood that his security in this life was found in Jesus. And that even if someone else might take his life from him, they couldn't take his hope in his Savior. That's the kind of security that Jeremiah speaks to here. That no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, when you trust in the Lord, you can dwell secure. And finally, we learn from Jeremiah's lesson, let the Lord be the source of your strength the source of your strength. The final phrase here of verse 16 we read, and this is the name by which it will be called. Speaking of the promises, the things that are to come, the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Now that phrase in the Hebrew language is actually just two words. It's a name for God. The Lord is our righteousness. And this name is meant to point us back to The the power of the one who could bring low even the greatest armies of the world. The power of the one who who could establish and sustain a people. The power of the one who created the world with a word. This is the God Jeremiah speaks of. This is the God that we point to. This is the God who is the source of our strength. Listen, no matter what you may be facing in in this life, if you will let the Lord be the source of your strength, then you will find, much as Jeremiah and his contemporaries did, that the Lord is enough. Though you may walk through great hardship and difficulty and pain, you will find that the Lord is enough. His mercies are new every morning, that God gives you what you need in the moment that you face it. Right now I'm reading the book, the Hiding Place, written by Corrie Ten Boom. Maybe you've heard the book before, maybe you've read the book. Corrie Ten Boom wrote a, a famous book, it's been around for many years, called The Hiding Place. I've always wanted to read it, so I am. And in the book, Ten Boom talks about a time that she feared that her father might die and be taken away from them. She was a little girl, and she feared that her father would, would die and would leave them and that they would have nothing that they, they, because they looked to their father for everything. And she says that her father told her the story. She would often ride the train with her father. They would go on Mondays, she writes, to the city of Amsterdam. And there, her father, who was a watchmaker, would set his clock, set his watch to the astronomical clock at the Naval Observatory in Amsterdam. And often on these trips, they would ride the train together. And so her father says to her on one of these trips, he says, Corey, who holds your ticket when we ride the train? She says, you do, Papa. And when do I give you the ticket, Corey? Well, just before we board the train, Papa. Why do you suppose I do that, Corey? So that I won't lose the ticket, Papa. And he went on to say, Well, Corey, that's the way that God will work. When when the time is right, God will give you what you need to face what it, what it is that you're against. And when you need strength, the Lord will give it. Now she goes on to write later, using that same analogy, she later writes about how she received from the Lord the strength that she needed. In, in the midst of Nazi occupation and and these other things, it's really, I'm not going to give you the rest. You'll have to read the book, right? But what a great example of what it means to trust the Lord and to look for him, let him be our strength. In just the right moment and in just the right way, when you need it, God will supply the strength you need if you trust in him. Let the Lord be the source of your supply. Let him be the source of your song. Let him be the source of your salvation, the source of your security, though you walk through hardship, and the source of your strength. When we look to the Lord, we find that he is everything that we need. And I wonder, have you trusted him? Have you turned to him for salvation? Are you trusting in him for your supply? Do you give him praise for the goodness in your life? Do you dwell in the security of, that he gives those who, who walk closely with him. Is the Lord your source? This morning, we're gonna have a time of invitation, a time of response, and in this time of invitation, I wanna encourage you that you, would make, that you would make the Lord your source today. If there's never been a moment when you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, then I would encourage you to make today the day that you call out to him. Make today the day that you trust him by faith, even as we sing a song in a moment Brad and I will be here at the front and we would love to pray with you to lead you through a prayer commitment that you might trust Jesus to make him the Lord and Savior. But maybe you have trusted Jesus. But the truth is, you're living with great uncertainty. You have a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. Now, hear me. Sometimes, it's not just that you pray a prayer and all that's just gone because some of those things are rooted in very real realities. and Sometimes that's physical things that are happening inside our bodies, and sometimes it's circumstances outside of us. But even in spite of all that there is to fear in this world, we can have peace when we trust the Lord, when we make Him our security. Maybe you're here today, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're trying to do everything in your own strength. And you never get any farther than what you can do because everything is... is is limited by your strength. Or maybe you think that you're the source of everything and and the Spirit is convicting you saying, now listen, you need to give praise to, to the Lord for His goodness in your life. However God may be speaking to you today, I want to encourage you that you would make this the moment of your surrender. That you would recognize today the Lord as the source of everything that is good in your life. And so would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'm going to lead us through a prayer that would, that would really be the, our first steps into this time of commitment where we respond to the Lord. And Even as I'm praying publicly, aloud, I would encourage you that you would make this a moment that you would cry out to the Lord from your heart saying, God, I trust you. Lord, I want you to be the source of my supply, the source of my song, of my salvation, of my security, of my strength. And so, Lord, work in our hearts today, we pray. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you, Jesus. You are the source. Supply our need, Lord. We thank you for your salvation that is available when we cry out to you and turn from our sin. We thank you that you will be our strength and our security, that we might trust you no matter what comes. So, Lord, move in our hearts, move among us, even now, as we respond in faith to you. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.